Well, it's a delight for me to be with you again this morning, honored last week and this week. Uh, over the years of uh, tracking Good News Bible Church since back in the early 80s, it's been my privilege to watch uh, not only this church grow numerically, but to see God work in individual hearts, to see uh, marriages strengthen, uh, homes uh, strengthen, and for God's presence to become more and more manifest. And so thank you for the privilege of uh, being back in the area. Just uh, recall the old ICC Center, the first meeting place of Good News Bible Church, and then the, the tenure at Levitt Street Bible Church, the Sunday afternoon meetings. Uh, being with you folks uh, on uh, occasions from time to time, and then the move to the old theater. How many, how many of you remember the old theater? Another ICI facility. And for God finally to lead you here in this uh, wonderful setting, this uh, beautiful building that you have uh, rehabbed so particularly, um, trust that the, the warm sun glowing through these stained glass windows will also glow into your hearts. In Second Chronicles 16, the prophet Hananiah made a statement to the king, King Asa, that got him into trouble, got him into prison, in fact. He said that the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he might strongly support the hearts of those that are fully his. How does God do that? You know, you and I face uh, tough times. God has not promised that life would be easy. Uh, sicknesses are never wanted. Uh, circumstances in the community chafe on you and me. But Hananiah said that the eyes of God move to and fro throughout the earth. This is uh, verse 9 of chapter 16, Second Chronicles, the latter part of the verse. That he might strongly support the hearts of those that are completely His. How does God do that, and how do you know when He does that? You know, those are not easy insights to attain. You and I love people, and we love to be encouraged by people, don't we? But we must differentiate sometimes what happens between you and me and people, the encouragement they might give us, the attaboys, the attagirls, which are always wonderful and appreciated, but you and I can confuse uh, that with faith. We can get buoyed up and mistake, actually, the excitement that we incur around people, even around wonderful music, for faith. And God has said it's impossible to please Him without faith. And uh, some of the most wonderful things that God wants to give you and me can be problems, like the attaboys, the attagrams, the encouragement. Or the excitement that you and I have when we get a new car or a new dress, a new suit, a new pair of shoes. Just the blessing that that is. It kind of buoys us up and we can actually make a fatal mistake there and confuse the, uh, the blessing that that is, the encouragement that that may be, for our faith. And to walk and say, boy, I'm strong in faith, uh, when actually the excitement comes from the new dress or the new suit. 
God wants to give you and me uh, insight with this thing called faith that we might know when we are trusting Him and when we are not trusting Him. And for the, the best of that which God has for you and me is so good that it's dangerous. It's powerful. And it can be a stumbling block because of its power. This happened with many of our Lord's miracles. Uh, people actually went gaga over Jesus. Actually over what he could do. And it turns out most of them forsook him because they were confusing excitement for faith. In fact, to test the twelve on that, he put them in the boat. And then that dark night, they learned that their excitement over the bread that he multiplied, the fish that he multiplied, was different from trusting him and hanging tough in a crisis. Uh, when you and I go through a deep sickness or someone in the family, the only thing that will get you and me through that travail is not the excitement we had last week at a circus, but actually knowing God and knowing how God works. Uh, so this morning, as we've been singing in this message, we're going to be talking about uh, trusting Christ and how do we know that our faith is in Him, not so much in what He gives us. God has far more to give us than sometimes what we can receive. Like a child can be spoiled with being given too much. Not that the parent doesn't love the child and withholds because of lack of love. No, no, no. Just the opposite. It is the gift in the life of a child, ill-timed, powerful as it is, can actually be destructive. God would love to perform miracles in your life and my life, but He cannot because of the weight of God's glory and the weight of such an occasion. You and I may not be big enough, mature enough to handle that. And it would have a devastating effect upon us. Hmm. The eyes of the Lord moves through and fro throughout the earth, looking, watching, searching for hearts that are fully His, that He might completely strengthen us. God does want to help you and me. God is a giving God. despite the fact that sometimes you and I wonder about that. The saddest part of the Bible is, I think, the fact that people can go into eternity without God. To spend time there in isolation, in aloneness, without God. Now, people who love sin, people who hate God, they say amen for that. They don't want God around. They don't want to be subject to Him. They don't want Him directing their lives. And so they're okay with that. And so that is what God will give them because they want that. But if you know Him, if you love Him, if the Word of God has warmed your heart, you will struggle with that on behalf of people to go into eternity without God. I feel for King Saul, 
There's even a debate as to whether he was born again or not, whether he became a genuine believer in God. For he died without God. There's a discussion, was the man saved or not? God left him due to what he was doing in his rebellion against God. This talented man, this prominent man, this powerful man, God left him. And he was very much alone. God would not answer his prayers. Hmm. I think of Herod and a couple of others during our Lord's trial. Herod pumped Jesus for questions, with questions, for answers. But Jesus wouldn't give him a response. Whoa, that's bad news. When Jesus won't talk to you. Herod, King Herod, had gone too far. He had blasphemed the Spirit of God. He was not savable. Jesus would not give him the courtesy of a response. Already, Herod was without God. What occasions and the lives of Christians from time to time, this no doubt strikes all of us. There's a quiet loneliness where we have questions, we have doubts. With a passage like Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5 says that God has given us the Holy Spirit as a, as a down payment or as a token payment for you that who are weary in body and have a body like a tent that's fragile and frail and it flops in the wind and it's deteriorating. And he says, this is uh, for the very reason. This is not an accident. This is not oversight on my part. This is according to my purpose, that you live in a frail body. And then he tacks on, I've given you the Holy Spirit as a token of evidence of the truth of what I'm saying. And someone says, give me a break. Where is the Holy Spirit? When my times are quiet, and, and I wonder even if I'm a Christian, or if God was there, or if the Bible is true. Did God write the Bible, or did a bunch of guys get in the basement of Moody and write it? That's a tough question, isn't it? It's a good question. It's a question that you and I need to wrestle with. Is the Bible true? Does God exist? How does God, this, this Spirit infinite, immeasurable, relate to a, a fragile mortal like me, who's weak, who's finite. How does man and God connect? Solomon rightly said that, uh, that uh, he's so great that the heaven of heavens cannot contain him. Yet, while the Bible teaches that, it also teaches the opposite, that God wants to be intimate with you and me and to strengthen our hearts. One of the most confusing aspects of the Bible is about faith. One of the most complex concepts is trusting Christ and how do I know when it happens. Perhaps one of the first verses you memorized in the Bible was Hebrews 11, chapter 1. Chapter 11, verse 1. 
And if you're like I am, you've stumbled most of your life through it and didn't have the foggiest idea about what verse 1 meant. It wasn't a blessing to me for many, many years. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. What in the world is that? Just words. Hmm. Well, we want to talk about that this morning. The first verse deals with the definition. Now, the entire definition of faith is not in this verse. Verse 2 talks about evidence of faith in your life and how God wants to give you feedback on that. And verse 3 looks at the necessity of it. So let me work my way through these three concepts with you this morning because uh, each is so critical. Faith, for faith is now the conviction or the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Uh, the term faith, pistis, the noun or the verb pisteo, is used in three different ways in our Bible. Both in old, not, not this, well in the Septuagint, these two Greek words, but in the Hebrew Old Testament, uh, New Testament, uh, speaks of uh, our doctrines, our creeds, as being the faith. You recall Jude chapter, uh, Jude verse 3, chapter 1, only one chapter in Jude. Uh, Keep the faith, famous statement among certain individuals. Now, to distinguish this uh, kind of faith from a couple of other kinds of faith, let's call this notitia. N-O-T-I-T-I-A. Notitia. It's a technical term to distinguish this kind of faith, that is our creeds, our doctrines, from other kinds of faith. Notitia, if you're a Baptist, you've got a certain set of doctrines. If you are of a Bible church background, as this church is, you've got another set, and there's some similarity between those two. But Lutherans, Presbyterians, Methodists have a faith. Looking at their creeds, and Jude, verse 3, and we find this uh, in Chronicles chapter 2, verse 7, calls those doctrines that you and I trust in, we believe them to be true, and we endeavor to live by them, that those doctrines are called notitia. They're more intellectual, things that we discuss and study in our Bible classes. And there are uh, several dozen uses of that term in your Bible. And so as you read your Bible, keep an eye out for notitia, the word faith used for the creeds, the doctrines that we hold dear to ourselves. Like when someone bumps into you on the street and sees you coming out this building and says, oh, you've been to church. You say, yes. Uh, what, is, what is your faith? They want to know what you believe in. Notitia. Uh, notitia is to be distinguished, however, from fiducia. Fiducia is the volitional action of your mind to trust Christ. That's the John 3.16. The Acts 16.31, where Paul and Silas were in prison. And the jail shook. The place was knocked apart. They'd been singing. And when the earthquake was over, these guys were free to go. And the jailer was awakened. And he knew that there was a jailbreak. And his life was at stake. And so he ran to 
Paul and Silas and ask what it must he do to be saved. And he said, believe, and there he is, Fiducia, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. It's a command having to do with one's volition. Now that's the primary way we tend to think when we talk about faith and when we have this discussion. But neither Notitia nor Fiducia fit into verse 1 of chapter 11 of Hebrews. This verse is not talking about either one of those. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So what is he talking about here? Well, this is a census. Notitia, the intellectual documents, the intellectual creeds, the dogma of our faith. Notitia, fiducia, my choice to trust Jesus Christ moment by moment for my salvation, to answer my prayers. But a census is different. A-S-S-E-N-S-U-S. A census has to do with giving assent. In fact, when you say amen, and when you mean it especially, that's a census. It's an expression of your inner heart coming out of you. Maybe when you hear a great song or a good sermon or have an insight from God and something stirs you deep within and you say amen. It has to do with conviction. You see, this verse talks about assurance. Conviction. It's that quality that you and I need if we ever go to the stake. We're called upon to be a martyr. Uh, just your uh, notitia or your fiducia will not get you nor me through something like that. We need something bigger. Something that will give us gusto. This verse is talking about passion. When you've thought something through, you understand it, and you believe in it. And if it's necessary, you would die for it because of its truth. Uh, follow me through a couple of passages. Look at Abraham and Sarah for just a moment with me, if you would, please. In Romans chapter 4, this couple was older than I am. She was 90, and he was 100. And in Romans chapter 4, verse 16, it says, This is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may not rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham. I see the word faith there is not clear as to whether that's notitia, fiducia, or a census. So he goes on. Who is the father of us all, it is, as it is written, I've made you the father of many nations. And the presence of God in whom he believed, that no doubt is uh, Fiducia, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence. Wow, look at that. Who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Now notice this. In hope... He, that's Abraham, believed against hope. Now, what does that mean? Well, this man was 100, and his wife was 90, and God had said, you're going to have a baby. And nature said, no way. 
There wasn't a gynecologist in all of Israel that give one hope in a million for Sarah getting pregnant. But in hope, against hope, that is, in hope, uh, in what God had said, against what nature was saying, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, and when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith. Now we're talking about a census. He's developing some conviction here. When he considered his own body, which is good as dead, no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in faith and gave glory to God, being fully convinced, there it is again, that God was able to do what he had promised. Hmm. Young Christians don't know much about this. That's why, day after tomorrow, they will wonder about their salvation. They come to Christ. They believe that the Bible is true. Notitia. That the Bible has become their notitia, their faith. They believe the Bible. They, at least they don't know what's in it, but they say, I believe it. And they make a choice to trust Christ. But this yet. But in a couple of days, they began to scratch their heads. And not so much Satan. It's not so much sin. It's just that the mind wants to understand. The mind needs to grow. God wants this person to mature. And so you and I and all of us ask these questions. Is this for real? We step back and we began to ponder it. You see, there's no depth there. There's no assensus. Because there's very little wisdom or comprehension. Very little passion about this. But in time, as one grows and understands the Scriptures, the assensus will begin to blossom. And now as this old man and this old woman, 90 and 100, they've been waiting all their lives for the promised child. You see, God is just not uh, playing games with Abraham and Sarah. God wants to do a miracle. Not just for their benefit and all of Israel, but for you and for me. That God does a miracle. God does something unusual here. And they need to hang on. And it was a tough ride. And they even got another lady involved to give Abraham another descendant. Created all kinds of problems. And in fact, the the problems we have today with Israel and the Arabs go right back to this. Hmm. God wanted to give that man, that woman, a deep passion about God. And that God was superior over nation. <laughs> Nature says, yeah, no way, Abraham and Sarah. God said, you watch. Hmm. Can God do that? And so for them and for you and me, there needs to be a census. If we're going to stand up for this and say, I believe it. Turn to another reference in Luke 24, which talks about a census. This is in the post-crucifixion and resurrection days of our Lord. Luke chapter 24. Jesus had risen from the dead and he is 
uh, endeavoring to cross this no man's land between being alive and having been crucified and now breaking the news to folks that he was yes dead but is now alive has been raised from the dead and so a couple of disciples were moving from Jerusalem to Emmaus in this passage in verse 13 I think that says we're going to pick up in verse 16 Jesus joins them but their eyes were kept from recognizing him they didn't know who he was this resurrected savior and so they joined together and walked along the way and they surmised that he didn't know about the crucifixion and the huge disappointment that this had been to the followers of Christ and, and they asked him how he how it could be that he didn't know this uh, well the upshot of this conversation is in verse 27 that beginning with Moses and all the prophets Jesus interpreted to them all the scriptures the things concerning himself and so as they took this six mile walk Jesus was expounding truth notitia to them and so they drew near to the village verse 28 I'm pausing here because I'm having to see these little digits these uh, Arabic numerals to which they were going he acted as if he were going farther but they urged him strongly saying stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now spent so he went in to stay with them when he was at table with them he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them now notice what happens in verse 31 their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight he gave them insight he opened their eyes to see who he is and he vanished <laughs> why did Jesus always do that well he wants you and me to process just what happened think about it you see his presence would have been a problem what yeah, if he had continued to sit there, what would you do? What would I do if Jesus was sitting at the table? We would kind of let him take over, wouldn't we? Direct the conversation, be a part of everything. But he needs to leave you and me alone a little bit while we talk about this. We process this. You see, notitia is truth. We gain light and we must reason through that and have understanding. And so they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while we were singing along the way? No, no, it doesn't say that, does it? Did not our hearts burn with us as we prayed? No, no, it doesn't say that either. What does it say? Did not our hearts burn within us while, we, while he talked to us on the road, while he opened the scriptures to us? Now notice what they do immediately. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they began to spread the word there about what they had seen, whom they had seen, and whom they had talked to. A phosphony. God opens the eyes to see, to understand. God is building a census here in the hearts and the lives of these two disciples. And they go back to Jerusalem and give their testimonies. And God uses that to build a census in the hearts and lives of others. Well, let's talk about uh, 
verse 2 now. Hebrews uh, chapter 11. And particularly, let's talk about a census. I get back to Hebrews. For by it, this is now a reference to, to faith. By it, the people of old receive their commendation. This verse is talking about evidence. How God wants to bless you. How God wants to strengthen you, me. And bear a witness. In fact, the term for witness is used in this passage. Not the only term, but it is translated commendation here. Um, and in a couple of other places. God wants to commend you, me. Uh, when we take a doctrine, notitia, we put our fiducia in it. God wants to add a boy, add a girl. And to encourage you and me to, to bank on that. And you better believe that Abraham and Sarah needed that when God broke the news about the baby. That this was the will of God. And once they were convinced of that, when the census was there, they said, let's go with it. Hmm. I was a teacher, I try to give my students uh, feedback on papers they write. Attaboys, girls. They want that. I had a professor years ago who had one grade for the class. Three-hour class, course in church history. And you write one paper at the end of the course. And everything hinges on that one grade. That professor lasted a couple of years. There was such an uproar on the part of students that the school released him. Students need feedback along the way. Hey, how am I doing? Am I in the ballpark? Am I close to what you want? Give me some feedback. Students need feedback. Not just attaboys, girls, but say, right on. Or tweak it here, tweak it there. Um, Interestingly, some Christians don't think God gives feedback. Okay, you're now a Christian. Get in line back here and let's go. And don't say a word if you hit the ditch. You got hung up in the goo of life. Hey, you got me, you got the Bible, just trust God. Work your way through it. Uh, Some of us uh, snicker at the little giggle about uh, what we call our quiet time with God. Uh, Some Christians try to do that every, every morning. Uh, you, you know why they call that, that time of silence with God in the morning? We call that a quiet time? Well, that's where uh, the believer, the Christian, doesn't say anything and, and God doesn't say anything. I mean, it is a quiet time. <laughs> but Hananiah says that the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he might strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. How does God do that? Well, he wants to do that all your life because we call this maturing, spiritual growth, where our horizons are broadened and we 
we believe more and more of the truth of Notitia that tells us that God does exist and He is with us. You know, God put the Apostle Paul through all kinds of havoc we saw last week. How can a man do that? It's not just, hey, get in line and stay there and don't grumble. No, God wants to give the attaboys, the attagirls. That's what a census is all about. And by the way, in my rearview mirror narrow, I can see that when I was young, and I thought that life was really in the early 20s, and that's, that's where the action was. That's where the glory was. That's where the good stuff was. When you're young and you're athletic and you're good-looking, you know, you, when you hit the ditch like I have, and I, I see a few others out there who, who, who don't have uh, a lot on the top, and, and you, you look at them and you look at me, and like Don Cole you say, says, who's a couple years older than I am, you know what, we are ugly. Hollywood doesn't know how to process that. Because Hollywood is, not only in addition to sports, Hollywood primarily is into worship of virgin sex. And if you're 18, 19, 20, 21, if you're a crowd in the late 20s, you're in trouble already. And if you are 30, you have hit the ditch. Because life is with the youth. Hollywood teaches us that. The movies teach us that. Commercials teach us that. But listen up, my folks. The Bible says the opposite of that is wrong. Because it takes a lifetime for God to give a sentence. And if all you've got is what you had when you were 20, well, no wonder so many of those movie stars commit suicide. If you have that as a philosophy, you're going to need drugs or booze to help you get through it. I would not go back to be 20 again because it would cost too much. Or even to be 30 or 40 or 50 or even 60 because of the ascensions where God strengthens faith and more and more there's that conviction that what God has said is true. Now, for example, this is uh, Valentine's Day, right? Marilyn and I are going to be married 50 years next year. She apologizes for uh, not being here, by the way. Actually, her, we brought her mom to come live with us uh, uh, almost two weeks ago now, about 10 days ago. Her mother is 97, and these stairs are too much for her. And so those ladies are in another church. I really think it's because they don't want to hear me preach, but... But Merle and I have our, our 50th wedding anniversary coming up next year. What it would be like to be married to some lug nut like me who been married 50 years and never gave his bride any feedback on his love for her. You talk about a lug nut. I mean, she puts her faith in me, her faith in my commitment to her, that I do love her. Hey, I told you I did when we got married. 
No, she needs a box of candy. She needs flowers. She needs hugs. She needs to cuddle to know that her confidence... Some of these guys are jealous over here. That her faith in my love for her, she's received feedback on. God does not abandon us. He does not forsake us. So as we talk about evidence, you'll notice here that the person is commended. For by it, that is, by faith, by a census, people of old receive their commendation. That is, their attaboys coming from God about the truth of their faith. Now, third and last, verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Now let's stop there momentarily. These three verses actually are a prologue to this entire chapter. The, the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews continues to be a locked chapter for a number of Christians, a lot of Christians. They read through it and they say, well, this is the Hall of Fame, this is a great chapter, but what in the world does it mean? And it remains a mystery because the key to the door is understanding faith here to be not notitia nor fiducia, but this ultimate faith of a sense. How God brings us along here. Now you notice in this verse, he's talking about that God spoke. Get this now. God just said a word. And out of nothing, ex nihilo, out of nothing, God brought the universe. And boy, are you and I living in a day where the computer is helping to stretch our horizons as to how magnanimous the universe is. We are now using the word expanding, and it's expanding. Huge. Unbelievable. And God spoke a word, and it happened. There's no scientific evidence that you can do to understand that, or to prove it, or to disprove it. You see, in the physical world, our eyes test reality for us. Uh, for example, the chairs that you sit in now, we um, know they're good chairs because they're working. And we can measure this. We can look around the room and say, yeah, folks are off the floor, he's up, she's up, yeah, the seats are working, keeping us up off the floor. Yeah, wonderful. We do the same thing with the walls. You know, if this roof up here got loaded with snow and came crashing in on us, so we love these walls and these posts here in particular that keeps the seating off of our heads. We understand this not by faith, but by sight. But there are things that are beyond the physical realm. For example, the existence of God. Is there a heaven? Where do Christians go when they die? Does the salvation thing work? Uh, Spiritual truths are not measured empirically. God gives us evidence. He tells us about it. And by faith, we accept it. Not just, no, titia, say, okay, that's good, that's in there. Oh, whoa, whoa. No, God gives us our senses on it. What he means by that, as we read our Bibles, the Spirit of God convicts you and me and convinces you and me that we're children of God. Where's that found? Romans chapter 8, verse 16. Have you noticed verse 15 of Romans chapter 8? 
says that by it we cry, Abba, Father, out of our inmost being, when you and I are desperate and we're troubled, we holler, God, help me! That comes from our senses. God wants us to cry to Him, to help us to sleep, help us to feel better, help us to get well, help us to do what we need to do. But in verse 14, we're in Romans 8 now, verse 14, 15, and 16. 16 says about the Spirit of God witnessing with your spirit, talking about our senses here now, convincing you and me. We read our Bibles. And boy, do you and I ever need this. We read our Bibles. And I need to be convinced again and again and again that this book is true, that God exists, and that I'm a child of His, and that Christ lives in me. And He does this spectacular work page by page, verse by verse, word by word, breaking into my darkness, that is true. And this is scattered all through the Bible. I got to Proverbs again, uh, just in my annual Bible reading, and I got a card, I think it's back in Proverbs. Yes, in Proverbs, the first three chapters of Proverbs. In chapter 1, he talks about the person who reads the Scriptures and trusts in God. God makes His Word known to him. A census. You and I need to be convinced that we know the Word of God, the Creator of the universe. That this verse, verse 3 in Hebrews 11, where God spoke a word and created the universe, is that true? I need to be convinced of that. Well, that's the job of the Holy Spirit. And he says here in Proverbs 1.23, God makes his words known to him. That's to you, to me. Verse 33 of Proverbs 1. He will live, that is you, I, will live securely, and we shall be at ease from the dread of terrorism, or the dread of evil, or dread of, and the ESV is disaster. Whoa, that's a good one for you and me. Here it is again. Verse 33, Proverbs 1. Because of a census, because of the Spirit of God working through the Bible, you and I will live securely and shall be at ease from the dread of disaster. I tell you, if you are 10, 12, 13 years old, especially if you were 10 years old at, at 9-11, I was speaking in this church that following Sunday after that terrible Tuesday. After 9-11, Pastor Wayne was on vacation. In fact, he always left when I spoke. <laughs> terrorism. The generation that's hurt the most by today's terrorism was about age 10 at that point. Those young boys, young girls, today would be, what, 18, 19 years old? How many of you are 18, 19 years old today? Got some hands up here. You're having to deal with something very deep in your life. In the previous generation, it was something else. In my generation, it was a fear of communism. But at age 10, approximately, the worldviews opened up. And we lived with that. We began to be impacted by that. Well, great statement. Proverbs 1.33. Live securely. Be at ease from the dread of disaster. It's the work of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God alone that can convince you and me that we're safe. We don't have to be wrapped up 
in trauma. Those of us who saw people jumping from those buildings on 9-11, we still incur trauma as we relieve that, relive that. Our senses, through the Word of God, through the Spirit of God, will make you and me safe from that. Chapter 2, verse 5. You and I, with the Bible, with the Spirit of God, will be able to discern. Notice this. I love this. The fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. Whoa, there it is. The word fear of the Lord is the name of the Bible. This is the name of this book, the fear of the Lord. Uh, That was the name of the religion in the Old Testament, the fear of the Lord. Not meaning to be scared of God, but to respect Him. And to have a knowledge of God, that's called having the fear of the Lord. Verse 6 of chapter 2, He gives wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. You see, when you get these things, you know it. A sense of the Spirit of God personally making you wise, giving you knowledge, giving you understanding. It's found in verse 7, also in verse 10. Look at verse 8. It preserves my way from evil. Through a census, God using the Bible, the Holy Spirit, will keep me from the porno movies. And the other thing I want to stay away from, protect me, help me. In chapter 3, just a few here. Length of days and years of life and peace. Whoa! It's the Holy Spirit through a senses that gives you and me peace. And long days, long years, that's an evidence of the truth of the Scriptures. 8, chapter 3. Healing and refreshment. Oh. These uh, tidbits are like salt and pepper just sprinkled throughout the Bible. It's hard to turn to a page in the Bible that doesn't have several of these kinds of references. That God heals me. God refreshes me. Notice this. Verse 13. Understanding and being convinced that that is more precious than silver or gold. This is chapter 3, verses 13, 14, and 15. Uh, Verse 22 of chapter 3. Look at this one. That life have been given to my soul. Yeah, that's it. God convincing me that I have eternal life. God just doesn't give life. Life can't be separated from God. God gives you and me not just life. He gives us Himself. If I've got Him, I've got Christ, I've got life. Whoa, that's precious, isn't it? Verse 24, chapter 3. I will not be afraid when I lie down Oh, I like this. My sleep will be sweet. I've had counselees over the years that didn't like to go to bed at night because of nightmares. They didn't know what sweet sleep is. That's verse 24. I will not be afraid when I lie down. My sleep will be sweet. That's evidence that God the Holy Spirit wants to give you and me that Notitia, the Bible is true, my trust in Him, Zeusia, is working, but that my senses is growing. And here the last one, I like this, I'll make it last. Verse 32, God will be intimate with me. Whoa. How many of you that are married like to snuggle? 
Come on, ladies. <laughs> ladies love to snuggle. And guys like it too once they get into it. Married guys. We call that intimacy. And to cuddle, let's be careful here, but to cuddle with God, to draw near to God, that conviction, that confidence that yes, God does exist. He is near me and I can trust Him. And I'm looking at this red clock up here and it says for me to stop. Okay, let's do that. Loving Father, thank You for these precious words. Help us to read the rest of this chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, to see how this works out in the lives of the many examples that are cited in the following verses. We might understand what it means to live by faith, to be encouraged, to be strengthened by it, and to trust you, not just in good times, but moment by moment, because we are convinced of the truth of the Word of God. We've heard your amens. We've received your attaboys and attagirls. you put your arms around us. You've helped us to draw near to you. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.